0: Well, we're good. Okay, so
1: are you done? You hanging out with us, or are you hanging over there? <laughs> hey, it took you long enough to get started. Now I got something else working on over here.
2: All right. Well, we have Max Ripple with us today. So, uh, Max, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell everybody who you are and what you're doing here.
3: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm Max Ripple. I'm coming here and talk a little bit about
2: pull that a little bit closer to you because you're you're a soft-spoken person. They're gonna
3: yeah. Uh, I'm Max Ripple. I'm coming here to talk a little bit about baseball and my experiences with baseball and whatever else you guys want me to talk about, I guess.
2: Yeah, so like we were talking about a second ago the whole the differences in biomechanics and the difference in weight training and whatnot for college athletes. Let's get into uh, let's start from like the beginning. when you were in high school, and uh, I think that's probably a great topic to, to uh, talk about. Um, so when you were in high school, what were you doing? to train yourself and prep your body and to stay healthy uh for baseball prior to going to college.
3: I think it was a little bit easier um in high school recovery wise after I'd play baseball just because I remember being able to go out on Saturdays in the spring and play three games in a row on a Saturday and be able to jump back on a Sunday and uh so I think my body was just better being younger being able to handle all that but uh Uh, Having my mom help me out, her being a physical therapist, she was kind of getting me right too on top of that, but uh, I think it was really just the stretches before the game, uh, taking care of my body after, in the Florida heat, it's drinking liquids, it's uh, just really making sure that your body's all right the entire time, and it gets a little bit more in depth when
2: you go into college. So what did you do to keep your body right, or what did your mom have to do? uh i did a lot of shoulder mobility things um my
3: mom would always have me doing t's wise and i's and uh i didn't pitch as much in high school i was more of a hitter so i think that pitching is really where if you're young and you're pitching a lot i think you see a little bit more injury or uh not even mm-hmm. necessarily injury it's just your body hurt more uh than if you're a position player but um. I think those things kind of
0: help
1: me stay healthy all the way through it. All right. That I, that sounds almost contrary to one of the things that Ray's been talking about the last well, uh, couple of weeks. He's mentioned the Japan.
2: Well, yeah, China. let's, let's talk about that in a second. But like mm-hmm. my, my question was, I was talking to another uh, coach about this and it kind of goes into what you're thinking about the, the Japan story, but, um, Discussion was, you know, when we were kids in high school, there were only, like, two people maybe in the state that were throwing, like, in the 90s from high school, all right? And how, now, how fast were you throwing in high school? I could get it up to 92. Okay. Yeah. They have them on record. They have you on record for, like, fastballs or, like, 90 to 94.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't have the radar gun. on. I didn't really <laughs> – I was a hitter. I, I really didn't want to – every time I was on the mound, it was just – See how hard I could throw it, and I didn't care what I was really throwing. I just okay. I wanted I wanted to go hit, <laughs> just burn them. Yeah, yeah. Burn, burn,
1: burn, one, two, yeah. three. Sit down. <laughs> like, I'm My gonna, turn. They'd say, "Yeah, it's hard," and I'm like,
2: "Yep, I know." Give me the bat. Like I'm ready to go hit. You throw the heat. Get out.
3: Get.
1: Yeah. Get,
2: get out of that inning and go and Hit. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that was the question. Like, and now these kids are hitting. I'm not not hitting. They're pitching. A lot of them. A lot of them in the state are pitching ninety. 95 and then when they're in college you know we just saw the world series there was a, a a bunch of them that were throwing you know 93 to like one kid was throwing up to 100 so like what's the difference like what are people doing differently now that they weren't doing when when i was in high
1: school you
2: know five years ago
1: quick question who won the world series by the way
2: that college world series yeah Ole miss
1: old miss okay
2: Ole miss took it in two the first okay. time but like so the the this coach's perspective was it was all the band work, all the the shoulder work. You see these kids in you know the dugout, and they're hitting the bands, and they're doing their you know the rotation, the T's, the Y's, the W's, the I's, the, all that stuff, and then they're throwing heavy balls too, and that's controversial. Do you do, you do heavy ball? I don't. No. And why is that? Uh, really, because I haven't been exposed
3: to it by somebody who knows what they're doing with it. Mm-hmm. Uh. My my coaches have all been pretty old school, and uh, I believe in it in some way. I think that if you're going to do weighted balls and do a whole program like that, you really got to know what you're doing, because if you do too much, it's it's kind of a death sentence for your arm, I feel like. But um, if you're doing it right, then I feel like it could be very beneficial, and I just haven't been around the type of people that uh, really know what they're doing with that in order to just say, yeah, let's do that and do it right.
2: That's interesting that you say that because, you know, earlier when I was <laughs> trying to get everything working here, uh, we were talking about weight training mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, a lot of people will kind of dissect the two, they'll they they'll separate the two, you know, segment them both. Um, but is that really the case? Like is throwing a weighted ball any different than heavy weight training? Like we were talking about kettlebells, maces, Olympic weight training, or just lifting heavy, push-ups versus bench press and pull-ups, you know, versus lat rows or lat pulls. Yeah. Um, so like you think that it'd be beneficial. You just need somebody to show you the technique. Yeah, but it would certainly be more specific. I think so too. I think that's probably the difference is that it's more uh, the specificity is greater. Um, and as we were talking earlier why is it, why is it still controversial to lift weights for athletic, to be a better athlete? And why is it that some people think that it's harmful? What are you, what's your perspective? Because you train, you weight train. Yeah. And you said that you think it helps you. Yeah. And, and, and how, how do you know that it helps you?
3: I just, it has to, like I, I'm doing things that are making my body feel stronger, look stronger, uh, make, I'm testing. I'm doing testing throughout the entire year while I'm lifting to actually see those results of my body moving faster. And, uh, I think that that's hard to test with weighted balls because it's kind of a thing you kind of just like, you got to jump right into. If you're doing weighted balls and you're throwing weighted balls, you can't really ease your way into that as easy as easing your way into weightlifting. I can Pick up a forty-five pound bar and work on form really well, but if you're throwing the weighted balls, you're picking up the exact weighted balls you need to, and you're you're throwing them even if you are working on the form. And so that's causing wear and tear, whether you're doing it right or wrong.
2: But you see, that's where I get stuck, and this is really just my brain. You just said I can pick up a forty-five because forty-five is not that heavy, right? And work on technique, but a weighted ball is, you know, it's eight ounces, sixteen ounces. I think 16 ounces is one of the heavier versions. Um, and otherwise, some of them are like, you know, 8, 10 ounces, you know, 12 ounces. So if a 45-pound bar is, and when you say you're working on technique, do you mean for like Olympic lifting or you mean like for bench pressing or? Just everything really. I mean. Okay. So I, why couldn't you do that with an 8-ounce ball? Work on just technique. How and heavy is, is, the, is the baseball, first of all? Five ounces. Yeah. Five ounces. Five ounces. Okay. Five ounces. So my question is, why couldn't you start with a six ounce ball, work on technique? Uh, I think that they have
3: even balls that are like two, three ounces. Uh, they're all very specific into like what you're doing. Obviously, I don't do it, so I don't, I don't really know. Right. But from what I've heard about it, is that it's almost worse on your arm if you're ripping those lighter balls and throwing the right re- lighter balls than throwing the heavier balls if you're doing it wrong.
2: Yeah. So I, I would think, so the whole purpose of weight training is to develop a sense of resiliency and soft tissue tends to be resilient for tension, uh, and compression and then, uh, hard hard is resilient for compression and bending. And so in other words, if, uh, if you're trying to become more resilient with, uh, uh, let's say, jumping or squatting, uh, you, if you can squat heavier weight, you tend to be able to – there's a carryover to, like, jumping and lifting weight and walking with weight and handling your body a little bit. So why not use a heavy ball to develop the arm so a five-ounce ball feels more like a feather? That's the idea, right? Yeah. To feel, to feel like a, fe- a feather. Right. To, but I hear this all the time, like, oh, if you're throwing a heavy ball, you have a greater chance of wear and tear and hurting your, hurting your shoulder. That might be true, but where is the evidence for that? Mm-hmm. Who's done that? Like, why and how? How is that any different than doing push heavy push-ups
0: mm-hmm.
2: or Olympic lifting? Right. Right? And one would also argue that if you're doing the band work, that's at least one to two pounds. And that too is going through your shoulder. Mm. So why isn't that hard on your shoulder or causing wear and tear, as opposed to the heavy ball? What's the difference, in my
0: opinion?
3: I think it's the balls are definitely more specifically targeting your arm and your shoulder. I think with the other lifts aren't
1: necessarily specifically targeting that. I
2: don't know. I think I think that it could well, the be. band
1: the band specifically targets yeah. that that rotation that, and. You know, um, however you use them, if it's shoulder extension or flexion and in, uh, internal rotation, external rotation, you're trying to put those all together to mimic the the throw as much as you can. Throwing a ball, of course, is the motion. Yeah. Um, I I would I would think that the, the concern for injury, wear and tear, throwing your arm out would probably come from just overdoing it. You well, know, by either throwing it too many times um, past the threshold of where the muscle needs to recover before it can tolerate anymore or trying to throw a ball that's too heavy too soon mm-hmm. and then just ripping it after two three four or five throws or something like that whereas like Ray said picking up a six ounce ball and throwing that I mean you could probably throw that he, I would and I'm just going to Yes, so I shouldn't say easily, but seventy-five percent of the amount that you throw a five-ounce ball, maybe more, maybe it's less. That's where the knowledge comes in handy, or the evidence would come in handy to show that, like, what you should do mm-hmm. or how you should progress your way up. But an ounce, given it as a can be or is could be a big difference. So it doesn't sound like a big difference. Um, I don't. I don't know how ready right, you know. Do you know any protocols for weighted balls, or are you familiar with? Yeah,
2: yeah. And I, th- I think it's absolutely fascinating because it's a contentious debate on both sides of the aisle. And your traditional baseball person is going to, you know, s- stay away from that. And they're going to think that, you know, the more pitches you have or the more throws you have, the, the, the more you're going to wear out the tissue and wear out the joint. And then there's others that will basically, the other side of the aisle basically say, No, 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 you're 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 creating resiliency of the shoulder, so it's less likely to break down. So that goes to what you were talking about earlier about uh, the Japanese discussion.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Talking to these coaches, and this coach says, you know, I had a couple buddies of you know, one played in Japan, one coached in Japan. And uh, the Japanese, they have a different mentality when it comes to training. We've talked about this before. We talked about like the difference between continuous and constant loading versus progressive loading versus, like, chaotic loading. And those are three, like, weight training paradigms. One uses what's called the Milo effect. That's really more of an example of progressive loading. But Milo was a Greek child, you know, way back, you know, at the times so of, like, Hercules. And basically when he was born, uh, his, his, ca- his cow gave birth to a calf. And since, like, the time he was walk, he would pick up this calf, put it on his shoulders, and carry this calf you know, all over Greece, up and down hills and whatnot. And as he grew, the the calf grew. And the whole point of that was he got stronger and bigger and more muscular and and, uh, more capable of doing things because he was constantly carrying this calf. That's the example of progressive loading. Whereas constant loading is I'm going to work something that's challenging until it becomes a piece of cake. And then chaotic is you're kind of doing both. And they all have like the risk for injury. So like constant loading has the lowest risk for injury. Progressive has the a moderate amount of risk for injury. And what you typically see is you see a cycle. You, you train up to a point and you got to take a break, you know, like an off season kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then chaotic loading, you have the highest risk for injury. That's one day you go in and do a bunch of aerobic work. And the next day you do a bunch of heavy training. Uh, and you kind of, you, you mess with your numbers a little bit. It does help with performance, but it has the highest risk for injury. Um, and then you have to cycle more often for that. But the Japanese, according to this uh, person I was talking to basically said, he said that both the coach and the player told him that their pitchers, they they have their pitchers throw like in practice 200, you know, 150, 200, 250 times a day in practice. And they're, and but they're not trying to max out either. Right. You've Have you heard this?
3: Yeah. My, uh, my pitching coach up in Kent state, he, Played in the japan league and he told me all about what they do out there and it's insane <laughs> yeah. uh, he said that he would have his starts and he would he would throw on his starts and then the next day he'd be throwing he'd be long tossing and then uh in the middle of that week before his next start he would throw a 300 pitch bullpen and in the mlb those guys are throwing maybe 35 pitch bullpens so in japan he said they throw a 300 pitch bullpen you have to throw it too even if you are an American guy like he was. And he said that, like, they are big believers on if uh, you treat the game right, then the game will treat you right. And it doesn't matter how much you put on your body or stress you put on your body, if you treat the game right, your body will be good.
2: And they're very specific with the technique and the mechanics, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that's the point, is that they're emphasizing endurance. You're throwing, like, 300 times in a bullpen. uh, to build up the endurance. Cause then when game time comes, you're going to throw a third of that. Okay. And a third of that will, you're probably going to try to max out on, on, on most of those throws. Do they max out? Did he say anything about them maxing out there in that 300? No. So, and they also emphasize a lot of the, the variety in pitches too. They, they make a huge, that's what I've heard. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So the point is, is they're emphasizing endurance, for practice throughout practice but if your practice is hard the game is easy so when game time comes and your shoulders used to throw in 300 pitches and you're only going to throw like 100 pitches in the game you can go a little bit harder you can go a little bit longer um and not worry about breaking your shoulder down and kind of you know it's like it's like training them for a marathon only to walk you know five miles or ten miles you know it's supposed to be easier um, the other thing that they that I was I was told is that they really really concentrate on the different pitches as opposed to just fastball fastball fastball, uh, which also helps because they're not trying to max out their velocity all the time, right. which also may save the shoulder. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm not there, and so I don't I don't know. And I know here in the states we count the pitches, we emphasize maximum velocity as much as possible. You know, for the off pitches, what's the drop off? for the curves and the sliders and the the cutters and and everything else, what's the uh, change in direction? Uh, What's the drop off in speed from that? Uh, There's a lot more that goes into it, but we don't, we want to max our pitcher out on those things, but we don't want them to pitch too much either. So I mean, like how do you reconcile the idea of, well, if I don't pitch when I'm younger, I may have a better shoulder because I do think there's something to that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. what, What do you think?
3: Uh, I think it's just, obviously, if you're younger, not necessarily not pitching when you're younger can lead to, you know, have a healthier body. I think it's staying athletic and being able to have those movements when you're younger. Um, and then it will translate when, you, when you're older. So, so, like, for me, I mean, I pitched in high school, but, like, I didn't dedicate a lot of time to pitching I, uh, until I got to college and dedicated to actually seeing how I was moving down the mound and, uh, you know, how where my arm was coming out and uh, my release point and stuff like that. And so I kind of just in high school was really focused on staying athletic and, you know, having a, a whippy arm, athletic arm that's moving quick. And I didn't really try to do too much mechanically. And what I realized in college is when you start doing different things mechanically, it goes away from what you're naturally doing. And when your body's gets put in a different spot where it's not natural, you start to feel some pain or some aches and things like that.
2: I think that's a good, uh, well, let's come back to that. What do you think of the idea of like the training regimen, regimen and um, Japan where they're emphasizing pitch, you know, uh, uh, the quantity of pitches so you have endurance what do you think about that
3: i think it's just different for everybody i don't i don't think there's one one thing that's going to work for everybody Mm. uh some people might be able to handle that some people might not i i don't think that i would like doing that at all i i like after i throw i like the next if i throw more than like 30 pitches or 40 pitches uh, I'll be sore the next day, and I like to take that day off. And but I know people that they throw that many pitches. They like to go out the next day and throw the ball as far as they can. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of just your own body, your own f- like feel for it. And I don't really think there's necessarily too much of a method to it. I think whatever your body really feels and the quickest way you can recover from it. Works. Do you
2: do you think that maybe if you went out and threw a hundred pitches? that those that your resiliency for the first 30 would get better. And then maybe you could go even, you know, maybe 60 pitches before you wear out. Do you think that that, like, I don't know, like, I don't know. Do you think that maybe that philosophy, because I tend to like that philosophy that if you treat your body, right, you're mechanically sound, you got the right technique and, and practice practice should be hard, focus on your endurance. And then when game time comes game time's easy. It's easier for you and you don't have to focus on all those little things and your arm will survive. It'll be fine. But I wonder what the injury rate is with Japanese pitchers. I wonder how many of them go into pitching <laughs> after like a year of pitching and no longer pitching or after like, you know, so many weeks of the bullpen, they can't go. Right. I don't know. I don't know. But they they do pretty well. It sounds like.
3: Yeah. And I'm not too much of a believer in that either, because I'm. I think that the game of baseball at the major league level is changing a lot for pitchers, and I think that it's going to start going to what we see with like the Rays doing a lot, where it's bullpen days. Like statistically, most pitchers, you'll have your Degroms and Garrett Coles, and you know those just starters that are real freak athletes and can stretch it out but you really see like with all pitchers your best stuff is within your first 30 pitches that you're throwing And so why not just get a bunch of pitchers have them throw 30 pitches one two innings and give your best stuff the hitters aren't cycling back seeing you again so they don't know what the new guy has coming from different arm slots i think the game's going to change to that uh eventually and i don't think that like really preparing guys to throw a hundred pitches every outing is going to be necessary because they're just going to take that small portion
2: i think that's a great point i I think i almost like that too i like (laughs) both of them i like both of them because i like the idea of one you're building your body up to last Mm -hmm. and i like the other point um where you know instead of having like one pitcher pitch you know like you know when baseball started back in the day It wasn't abnormal for a pitcher to try to pitch a whole nine innings, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe even you know an extra innings. But now you certainly see you know starting pitcher come in. They don't they don't last very long. Then you bring your relievers and you bring your close. So I like that because you're right. Once a once the team is cycled around, usually around the second or even the third time, they now they've got you, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter how hard you're throwing. They've got you timed. They're, they know your tendencies and also you're tired. But you throw in a new pitcher, the timing's a little different, the tempo's different, the arm slot, you're right. The arm slot, the release point's different. I mean, what an advantage to taking to bring the pitcher's throwing, you know, over the top, and then coming with a guy that's got a little sidearm action, and then maybe another guy that's throwing some That's tough mm-hmm. for a hitter to it, and you and you hit. Mm-hmm. That's tough to like figure out right you know in real time so i i I like that too because i like the variety yeah and the difficulty and it just makes them better hitters Mm -hmm. yeah
3: i spent i spent a lot of time talking to the hitters on my team and then uh some professional hitters that i know and like picking their brain about it and every single one will tell me the same thing that hitting is all timing and mm-hmm. if you're timing, if you're on time for 100, you're going to hit the same as if you're on time for 90. It's just being on time for it, having your foot set, being ready for it. So I think that like any way that a team can possibly find to mix up timing, they're going to do, you know, right. like if, if that means take a pitcher out after one inning and put in a new pitcher who does something a little bit different coming from here the timing's different. It's it's just gonna throw it all off because that's the hitters nowadays. It's their whole approach. They can tell you everything they want with the hands. If you're on time for the ball, you're gonna hit it.
2: Right. And so, do you do you have a tendency to manipulate your tempo?
3: Yeah, I uh, I try to stay consistent with things while I'm throwing in practice and stuff. But while I'm on the game or in the game, uh, I'll change things up a little bit. I think I have that in my mind of like knowing what the hitters are really looking for timing wise. And I know what at least my team, their like their ticks in their head are for timing, trying to find timing. Uh, So I kind of just will pitch off of that. Uh, If there's a runner on base, uh, they're taught hitters are taught count. They come set count Mm -hmm. u c l a and then the pitcher will go like most pitchers just that's their natural like old go you know it's always on a so hitters are no like are there knowing that he's probably going to pick it up then and then base runners are knowing okay like that's when i got to be ready to steal or you know take extra whatever and so Mm i'm i'm more of a guy that's like i'm not counting that out in my head but I have that in the back of my head, and I'm changing things. And in my windup, up, I'm maybe taking my time on some, and uh, maybe working a little quicker on others.
2: So let's let's let's. That acronym is great, and I know what you mean by that. You know, as a as a runner, you're coming out into your primary. You're going into your secondary. The length of the leadoff is predicated on whether it's a right-handed pitcher versus a left-handed pitcher, and then you're looking at. What you see left ankle lift. They lift that left heel. They've got to go. They can't drop that left heel because now it's a balk for a right hitter, right-handed hitter. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. But you see that right ankle, you see that right heel lift, you better get back to the back because they're going to pick you off. So for a right-handed pitcher, but if it's a lefty, it's a different story. However, so the acronym is, is awesome, but why not practice the tempo when you're practicing the bullpen? So that way you can get like a little bit more mastery of like, this is what my tempo looks like when I'm in my wind up and how I can manipulate that to throw the time in off of the batter. And here's my tempo. I can change my tempo coming from the stretch when I have runners on. Why not try, why not try that? And as as opposed to staying consistent, or is that what you mean by being consistent? You're practicing the tempo even in the pen. Yeah. I mean, sure. I I'd practice the tempo,
3: but I don't dedicate as much time to it. Uh, because I'm more trying to stay consistent with my arm path and being on time with my arm. If I'm going to do a bunch of different things timing-wise to get that ball home quicker, I'm going to make sure that my arm's in the right spot in order to do that. Because sometimes, me personally, I tend to have my body go first and my arm's behind. And when my arm's behind, it's late, I get rotational, I fly out. You fly out. I miss, up and in. or arm side and up, and usually that's when I'll see I get stress in my bicep. Mm. And so for me, a lot of that is just being on time with my hands and getting my hand where it needs to be at release at when my foot strikes.
2: Is that how you threw in high school? You were talking about whipping the arm? Is that how you, That's the rubber band effect, essentially. Body goes first. Yeah. Arm is whipping around. Yeah. I look it- back at some videos of me throwing in high school, and it was all body
3: first and than just arm it wasn't really too much getting into my legs and using that it was more of just my body went forward and my arm had to speed up and catch up with my body
2: and that that worked well in high school but now it's starting to hurt you a little bit
3: yeah it's just inconsistent you can't really Mm. uh get consistency through that um you can't locate as well when you're when your arm's behind and having to catch up if your arm's on time you're able to Really get out in front and reach for that outside corner on a fastball, or you're able to reach up and in and maybe take a couple miles per hour off on the fastball and just locate it where you're at. But when your arm's behind, you really just have to. You don't necessarily feel it, but you know it's behind because you can you can feel your body out here and your arm back there.
2: And do you accelerate through your follow through as well? Is that, Do you focus on that?
3: I'm not too focused on that. I'm more focused on accelerating. Through, like, to the ball, I sure. guess. Uh, just because I've seen a lot of pitchers do it very differently, I've seen some pitchers throw the ball and they land in a position where they're ready to to field, and they right. throw they throw a hundred miles per hour. You know, I think it's it's different for everybody, but I think what's what's the same is their arms on time, they're getting in a
2: good landing spot, and they're whipping the arms through that pitch. So, like, I think you bring up a, re- a lot of good points here. It sounds like, you know, we talked about like how you're throwing naturally and then you started paying more attention to the mechanics. And now like if you're not, you know, observing those mechanics, that's when you tend to get hurt a little bit and tend to be off or inconsistent with the pitch. I think though, like in our world of physical therapy, I think in medicine in general, actually, or even just in training, I think we, we want to like believe and like solid mechanics for everybody. And we forget about those individual differences that make them special. And so a lot of times when we focus on, and I'm not talking about baseball, this is just in general, when we're being really nitpicky about one's movement, I think sometimes what we do is we screw the person up. And then I think to myself, well, is that even important? Is it even valuable for whatever it is that they need to do? And so I've like coming out and practicing that way. I was really big in that in the beginning. I really pulled back a lot and I have to say that I see better results by just letting the person be them and move Uh, now now I don't know what that means for baseball but I when I think about mechanics I'm always trying to apply what's the naturalistic approach that's just who I am by uh, from a bias perspective and when I think about like a pitch what is a movement that's been around in human history that is similar to that of pitching a ball And so when I think about that, I think about, you know, hammering a nail into a wall, right? Throwing a hatchet, you know, very similar to that. So, like, I think about, like, those little things, and I I, I like to use them, too, as a way to, like, train somebody, you know? Uh, You know that movie King Richard? You saw that, right? Yeah. What was one of the things he did to, like... They threw the rackets. They threw the rackets. They were trying to throw them, like so far, weren't they? They were like, throwing I I out of couldn't the... tell you, but they were throwing the rackets across uh-huh. to the other side of the court. And do you know why he had them doing that? Well, he had them doing that to like teach them how to serve because serving is really a, it's a pitch. Mm. It's a pit. You're throwing a ball, you're throwing a racket. That's going to hit a ball. And you're hoping that to hit that ball as hard as you can. If you're hitting flat or topspin or whatnot. And those, <laughs> they hit the the, the, Serena and Venus, they hit up to 120 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting, what is really interesting that I've discovered as of late is that, and this is where I think as a child, children should play multiple sports and should not play one sport all year long. I just feel that way. Um, but if you have a child pitching and then they learn to serve, the serve for a topspin uh, uh, topspin serve is a curveball. It's a curveball. And it's the flick mm-hmm. that produces the curve for the ball. It's the same same damn thing. It's just different on how you're holding the racket. And then of course you can produce a cutter and a slider with a racket as well because that's like a slice. Right. That's either an inside out, outside in slice, right? Um you can you can hit a flat ball, which is just a four-seam, two seam pitch. It's really kind of interesting to see the 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 connection there. And then also, you could also argue the same thing is true for like lacrosse, you know, mm. with the stick as well. But and so like, or here's something that's interesting. You talk about flying open,
0: mm.
2: and for the people who don't know what we're talking about, that just means his, he's throwing right handed. So as he's coming forward, his body's coming forward. And the left leg is coming forward. He's pushing off of that right leg. His left shoulder and chest is pulling out to the left, which is going to pull his right arm forward. Now, depending on where that elbow is, if that elbow is a little high, or if it's more towards his hip, that's the the opposite part of the uh, of the right arm, the right arm. So, if his left elbow drops towards his hip, his right arm will come up a little bit higher, and he'll throw from over the top. Am I right so far? Mm-hmm. If the elbow is coming out towards uh you say his shoulder blade as he fl- that's what he means by flying open his arm is now going to be as opposed to coming over the top it's going to be stretched out a little bit his head's coming off a little bit and so he's going to have a tendency to have to like he's going to have a tendency to throw across his body and in order to correct that he's got to correct that with his arm and so now he's got to re- have a different release point the arm slot's different uh which is just the position of the arm in the throw and based on all that, he's got to use different parts of his body. And then if he does that a lot, you could get hurt.
0: Yeah. That's
2: what you're talking about, right? Yeah. So like, you're going to love this. What is a similar maneuver or activity to teach a person how to throw a ball by pulling the elbow down and the, the right hand over the top or, or vice versa? Do you know? Fishing. Huh? Fishing. Fishing? Yeah, throwing a spear. Okay. Think something else. Think something that you like that we're going to plug for. Kayaking? Kayaking, paddleboarding, canoeing. Okay. Think about that. And think about the resistance of the water. As far as, like, you talk about weight training.
1: I, mean, I feel like you're, you're paddling awfully high at that point, if you're
2: coming up here. I mean, Well, that's why I said paddleboarding. So, like, in a now, canoe, your elbow might be out a little bit more. But in a paddleboard, you may have to drop that elbow down. Have you ever paddleboarded? Yeah.
1: Okay. So I don't, you're I don't not, know like, you're not like
2: this. When you're more here, you're kind of reaching out sure, in front of you. Sure, But the trick is you're pulling yeah. that elbow, that paddle side okay. elbow, is down and yeah. back. Yeah. And the, the other hand is coming over the top. Okay. You're, you're talking about that counter yes action well i mean that's and that's correct me if i'm wrong max that left arm is going to dictate his arm slot his release point is going to dictate his speed it's going to dictate where he lands coming off the mound whether he's in a ready position to pitch or if he's also falling it has a a ton of i see what you're saying now yeah so like maybe that could be a workout man get out there and paddleboard your mom would be fine with that yeah i think
3: I think that my problem with it is not so much getting it out there and getting it strong with my lead arm. I think it's more of once it's out there, where does it go? Right. Does it go straight directly left? Does it go straight down? Uh, it's I feel when it just kind of goes down into the left for me is when I really feel that I yank a ball or I leave it Uh, up and arm side and I feel when I really stay connected and I get out there with my arm and it just comes straight down into my body. uh, That's when I really feel I'm able to get out in front
2: on a baseball and put it where I want it. And that's what most pitching coaches teach, pulling that left elbow down to your left hip or behind the left hip. So it's going down, it's going down towards the ground as opposed to, you know, parallel to the ground. So that way that right arm is coming straight up from over Mm -hmm. the top. And you can look at like pitchers classically throughout the ages, the, some of the best pitchers and there's a lot of variety in them, but a lot of them have that one that those fundamentals. And so that's where I, I diverge. Like I say, mechanics is different for everybody, but there are fundamental elements and it's true of like everything, you
1: know, I do feel the same in tennis. I, I, for myself, as well as I've been, I've been taught, but that serve, when you are coming over the top, you throw the ball up, and when you're coming across, that other hand is coming more straight down as I'm coming through. And I can tell when it feels good, when it feels the best, my best serves are almost when I'm like, yes, tucking that hand in. And that does feel good. If it's like way out here, yeah, I'm pulling something. I'm pulling that
2: ball somewhere. Um, And, And think about the position of your right arm. It's either coming straight up from over the top, or you're coming out here, Mm -hmm. and that changes the trajectory of the ball. It changes the angle of the ball. It changes so many different things. And if you're trying to slice that ball, that's a harder slice as opposed to coming over top. So, like pitching is very similar in regards to those type of things. Um, But when I talk about like, so these coaches that they talk about those little fundamentals, I think I just think some things go too far as far as like everybody should do this. Everybody should stand this way. Everybody should. Do that. Um, and so when I say, like, use paddleboarding as a way to train your arm, that's not necessarily just because of the resistance of the arm. It's because of the whole technique.
4: I got you, And yeah. then you get
2: the technique, then you can start to pick up the resistance, the, the speed, because when you start picking up the speed, the, you're going to get tired, first of all. But the water is, like, great resistance. Mm-hmm. It's going to vary. It's going to give you a ton, especially if you're going, like, you know, against current. That's going to really work your arm. And that's a strengthening perspective as well as an endurance perspective and a mechanics perspective. But who knows? I mean, it, you know, somebody out there is like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? He's going to kill all these pitchers and he's going to wreck your arm. Well, I'm just
1: hoping that Max is, is is still can pitch after this, after we're done talking. If he <laughs> oh, didn't screw done. up his head too much, no, he's going to be thinking about everything. No, I know.
2: Yeah. But I think these are the concepts that pitchers are now using, which allows them to throw harder at high school and in college. But you're right about hitters. They had Jackson Wiggins, man, for, um, what was it, for Arkansas? Was it for Arkansas? Throwing against Ole Miss. Yeah. He's throwing averaging. He's averaging 98 to 100 miles an hour. Yikes. Six, six, and I want to talk about that in a second. Six six throwing averaging about 98 to 100 miles an hour. And at first, these hitters are kind of struggling. You know, he gets out the first inning. Those hitters are like, man, that guy can throw hard. Second inning, they didn't even cycle around. Second inning, they're hitting him. They're timing him. Mm -hmm. And once they start hitting him, just as hard as he's throwing the ball into them, just as hard the ball's coming out towards towards the field. And they just, I mean, they just loaded the bases on him. And then, of course, they're like, well, this isn't working. We got to pull him out.
1: Do you think that was batter adjustment or maybe his was he still hitting the same speeds probably right no he was, he was okay he was still, it goes back to what max was saying it's just hitters it's timing, the timing. you know yeah.
3: they there's not a hitter that i know of at the higher levels of baseball that is, are afraid to see 100 they just say i might take me more of a second to get on time for it but when i do it's it's going to be like seeing 90 mm-hmm. you know it's it's the yeah. same thing hitters just got to be ready for it earlier the separator for those pitchers, and where I think you see the better pitchers are those guys that can throw a hundred, but can also snap off a ninety mile per hour slider that plays right. directly off the same arm path, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, coming out of the same spot, release point wise, right. and is tunneling really well. I think that's where you see a lot of the success with those guys that throw right. hard. Even with the guys you see that throw. 90 85 like i've i've known some pitchers who throw 85 but know how to throw a cutter off that 85 that's 80 miles per hour and it looks just like it until it gets to your bat and they're very successful and i think that that's the separator for those types of pitchers is that right at the higher level it's the guys that can tunnel their stuff they tunnel their different pitches and get them to move
2: that movement's so important too Mm -hmm. like and then having a drop off you know, throwing ninety eight, getting that batter used to like three pitches at ninety eight, and all of a sudden you throw like seventy nine mile an hour change up, right. like that. That's right. You know, and and that's my point. Like this kid was throwing heat. he yeah. You know, he's throwing that one thing, and you have pros that are like salivating to draft him.
1: Can you see that heat from the bench, like the batters in the bottom of the lineup? Oh yeah. Can oh, you yeah. tell the that how fast, and then adjust your timing before you take your first at bat yeah and then being on deck
3: uh right. those hitters step or two, mean, you, know, you see those or guys yeah. they get a as close to the plate as possible just so they can okay. get in there and get the feel of being in there and right. the timing uh i see a lot of hitters that go up to on deck and i feel like how it used to be in the older days is that hitters went up there and they grabbed three bats or some weights and swung mm-hmm. it around and tried to get their hands to be quicker. Now it's like you're seeing guys go in there and they might not even have the bat in their hand. They're just up there. watching. Thinking, when do I need to get my foot down when I'm in there? And when do I need to get my hands to go?
1: That's that's interesting. It's
3: big timing now. And if you're on time for the fastball, you're going to be a good hitter.
2: And if you're hitting it in the opposing trajectory, which I want to talk about in a second, if you're hitting it in the right trajectory of that ball, The angle of that ball, it doesn't matter if you hit late, early, or on time. You're hitting the ball. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I mean, if you hit it late, you might foul it off. But then again, you might hit it late, you know, Apo Taco into the opposing field down the line, which is a hard ball for a righty. You hit it down, you know, down first base. That's a hard first base line. That's still a hard ball to field. You're on base. Or if you hit it, you know, if you pull it, if you manage to pull it and it goes down, third baseline, well, now you got like a double on that. So but the old miss pitcher, he was throwing like 78 to 88 miles per hour. Ten miles an hour slower. But the difference was, yeah, he just good pitcher, left-handed pitcher. He he wasn't striking everybody else out, but he didn't have to. He was confusing the batter. He had a few strikeouts, but his defense was stellar. He was throwing pitches. These kids are grounding out or flying out innings over and like three, four bats. And then all of a sudden they, you know, Ole Miss comes up the bat and they brought their bats. They, they came on at the right time and okay, 9,800 miles per hour. I'm ready for you. If I'm going pro, I'm going to see it anyway. Yeah. So I I think it's, I think that's really interesting. And that was something else I wanted to say. Wiggins is six, six, the tall pitchers are like the dream, but this is where I find it very interesting because like, in a lot of sports, your tall, linky athlete tends to have a ton of power, Yeah, ton of power. And they're not necessarily muscular. You know, they're not necessarily bench pressing lots of weight. They're not squatting a ton of weight, but they, 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 I think it's that lever. I think they have that long length that just adds to that power. And I see, I, I was watching a high school team hitting and this one kid steps up and he's like ripped. Bulging out of his, you know, jersey and whatnot. And he hits the ball. He hits the ball well. Did all right. And then the skinny little kid who's a little bit taller than him walked up, you know, and the kid's like making fun of him because he doesn't, you know, you got to get some size. You're talking about size. Tall, skinny kid. And he starts raking the ball. He's staring the cover off. I mean, he's hitting this ball. He must have hit out of like 20 pitches. He was hit 12, 13 over the fence. He was just raking it. And his line draw, I mean, he was sick in the left center, right center gaps. And he walks away. And and then like the other, another kid that was watching is like, that's why you work out, Jeff. That's why, that's (laughs) why you work out. But like, I'm curious to know at what point weight training, getting that mass is more detrimental as opposed to maybe maintaining a natural weight training or physical training element where, um, Maybe you're not lifting weights. Maybe you're doing more calisthenic based exercise. Jason Momoa is jacked. He doesn't really lift weights. Guy goes surfing and mountain climbing and does yoga. Like I think there's something to it. You you know lifting your body weight, holding your body weight, controlling it. I think there's more to it. And I think that permits um, more athleticism necessarily as opposed to doing Olympic lifting. But that, that, I don't know yet. That's just me. That's where my mind's at right now. What, you got anything on that? No, no nothing more than I, I had before.
3: Really, okay. <laughs> I think that absolutely does not hurt you to be strong uh, and as strong as possible.
2: Ain't nothing wrong with getting strong? Yeah, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Trademarked. Adam Eakins. Yeah. Love that guy. Um, okay, so we're talking about these hitters. And, you know, I, I tell my kid, like, when they hit, don't just swing the bat. Like, swing through the ball. and. I've like, I'm going to make my kid do this. I I try to again naturalize the movement. When else do you ever swing a bat? And so when I'm talking to these kids to teach them what a bat is, I say, Have you ever knocked down a wall? You probably have. Your dad, I mean, your dad's, you've knocked down a wall with a sledgehammer before, right? That's what a baseball is. You ever like chop down a tree? That's a baseball swing. Obviously, it's more complicated than that. But imagine like, that's what. Max, I'm telling I'm giving you, like, advice about Rocky. You go out, chop down a tree, put it on your shoulder, and use it as a paddle <laughs> to cross a river. <laughs> and you're going to be throwing 100 miles an hour, and you'll be hitting the cover off the ball. Too. No, I don't know. But, like, that's those are the analogies to tell my kid. I'm like, you need to chop the tree down or knock the wall down. And I do think that, like, using a sledgehammer develops because the sledgehammer is heavy. And it's, it's like, like, if we're talking baseball, it's barrel heavy it's ended heavy, you know, same thing with an ax. It's heavy at the end. So if you can handle that and then you pick up a baseball bat, it might feel a lot lighter. And the next thing you know, that acceleration to chop down that tree or knock down that wall, that bat speed only increases. Same thing with tennis, Joe. Same, right. same thing.
1: Do you guys, do you ever, ever throw wrenches? Cause <laughs> I heard if you could throw a wrench, you could throw a ball. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> They got some pretty big wrenches. <laughs> like those big red ones with the dial, and you spin it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you should get into plumbing, huh?
1: Yeah, a plumber's wrench. That's what it is. Oh man, no. You know, I'm, I was just thinking. I've got actually a uh, a big log out on the back porch that uh, uh, I'm using or we use to carry. Just pick it up, carry it, and you know it's it's really heavy. So I, I can't carry it that far. I probably carried it from the car to the back and I, I might've just barely got it there. Um, but doing, uh, it was just too I was thinking about when you're talking about cutting down the tree, I'm looking at this pine tree out here. Like, yeah, that's a big tree.
2: But that's what I tell my kid. I'm like, that's what baseball is. You're not just trying to like hit the ball, you know, cause you don't want it to roll over and pop up. You're trying to hit through the mm-hmm. ball. Like you would try to chop through the tree. to the ball, as you know, you know, and for my kid, I, I say, I think this is something that's very interesting. You know, meeting, meeting Nick Volatari, talking to him about technique, talking to him about, I, I got a chance to, to work over at IMG for a while in Bradenton, and I got to meet some f- awesome athletes. And this was like, I'm not going to say when, cause then somebody would find me, but years and years ago. And, um, I talked, I asked Nick about technique, tennis technique. Um, and he said to me, and I thought this was very interesting. He is not, he is not a beloved figure in tennis. Like the gurus who, who do tennis, they look at him and they say, ah, you know, he just works on athleticism and he hires good tennis coaches to teach them. He's not like given the admiration, at least my perspective, that he deserves. So I asked him about the technique thing, and he said to me, and this is when Federer and Nadal was, were coming up. He said, listen, if you're going to try to hit the ball like that every time, you're going to lose every time. So the technology is different. The The ball, the people are hitting the ball way too fast and hard than they did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So if you don't know how to open up your hips and hit from that stance, if you don't know how to hit off the back foot, if you don't know how to come in and hit, if you don't know how to, to, to hit from all these different angles, you're never going to be able to play. You can't just close off your hips, go in a C pattern, and hit the ball. And then there was something where he was like, and don't worry about your backswing. Your backswing does not determine anything. And this has made so much sense to me. Um, The backswing does not matter. It doesn't matter how far you take your backswing. It doesn't matter how fast you go through your backswing. What makes the difference is from the point of contact through your follow-through. If you hit the ball and whip your hand, whether you have a backswing or not, that's what's going to accelerate the ball. That's what's going to give it power. Now, if you come through quick with the backhand—I mean, your back, your um, your backswing—come through quick, and you continue to accelerate through from the contact of the ball into the follow-through, you're obviously going to have a better, more power. Mm-hmm. But the backswing doesn't determine anything. And I think that's one of the fundamental differences that we see in baseball. Same thing with stances. Everybody stands has a different stance. Everybody holds the bat a little differently. Well, what's the fundamental? They kind of rock onto the back leg to load. They drop their hands into position. And then they, they they actually, when they come down through, they come through, a lot of people talk about inside out with the hands. That's like the big thing. And having the barrel come behind a whip, as opposed to extend and push. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So like, and then a lot of, they used to teach, and, and this is what I think you're going to find interesting. I, I'd love to hear your point of view. They used to teach to hit down on the ball so you could get generate backspin. That was like way, way in the day. Then they started teaching, well, have a level swing so you can hit the ball and have a tendency to hit, hit a line drive or hit a ground ball. Yeah. But now you look at like all these YouTube videos of Mike Trout and Harper and all these other coaches, they're actually teaching people to drop the head of the barrel by like a negative 20, negative 30 degree drop. So that way you can actually go in the opposing trajectory of the ball. Yeah. And so if you hit it late or hit early, you still make contact. And and when you do, you're getting that lift for a line drive.
3: Mhm. Yeah. I I think that's going to tie into the game changing along with all the pitching stuff. I think on the hitting side, I think the game's going to change where it's it's home run or strikeout like yeah. They're not they're no longer going to be looking for super super athletes that can slap singles and steal bases i think that it's going to go to a lot of teams of just guys that can hit home runs and they're going to teach the best way to hit a home run is get below the ball and right. get, get your uh launch angle higher up uh i still think that personally at least at the college level with the college hitters i've seen uh The best hitters that I've seen are able to really backspin a baseball. You see this down, downward chop at it and can really consistently spin it backwards. But I also know a lot of good hitters that can't really do that. Uh, So I think that if you're not able to consistently backspin baseballs, then it should be more flat uh, and just staying through the zone more, getting the bat Mm -hmm. to be, the
2: barrel of the bat to be in the zone more. Um, What do you think about the launch angle of that 20, 30 degree drop? as opposed to hitting more at the horizon, the, you know, 0 degrees level off.
3: Yeah, I think it is it is crazy difference from what it is before and it's definitely like we're going to see a lot more home runs because of it.
2: But what do you think about that for you as far as like or as far as like the better hitters?
3: Yeah, I think I think the better hitters should still focus on hitting down with the ball and backspinning it. Mm. Um I think that's that's just Uh, The the quickest, easiest way to get to a baseball is hands here, point A to point B, down on a baseball. Um, But obviously, if you're trying to hit a home run every time, dropping the barrel down, getting the launch angle higher up is definitely the better way of doing that. Uh, And that's how the game is going to change, I'm sure of it.
2: And that's the Ted Williams effect don't worry about low to high worry about high to low mm-hmm. chop down on the ball so you get on base. Right. And it's interesting. Yeah. Because you know, the Mike Trouts, the, the better hitters, the Schwarbers and all them that, that worry about the launch angle, it's either fly out or home run. And I guess you could easily say that the MLB cares more about the home runs because that's what people want to see. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're going to kind of pull back on the shifting. Whereas if we still permitted the shifting, I think it makes for better hitters because they learn to hit everywhere on the field. And then then maybe you hit a single knowing that that single is most likely going to turn into a double, you know? And that's one of the things that I loved about the shift was, you know, originally Sabermetrics was arguing, don't bunt, do not steal. Those are terrible. If you are thrown out less than, um, I mean, more 75% or more of the time, or or if you are less than 75% uh, likely to steal, I mean, to to, to win the steal, less than 75% likely to win the steal, okay, every time, it's actually a detriment to steal. So the argument was don't steal. But when they started shifting because of probability of the hitter hitting right, left, whatnot, blah, blah, all of a sudden you see people going, well, third baseman's at second base, you know, or in shortstop position. I'm going to drop a slap bunt down left, down the left baseline, you know, and then that way I can get at least a single out of it. But if he's all the way over there and it just happens to be a hard, or if I hit, if I do hit a ground ball down the, down the left foul line, now I can make that a double. Mm. And, and then, or, and now that I'm on second and he's still shifted, my guy could just drop a bunt, a sacrifice bunt. Now I'm on third, right? Or, or, you know, there was the thing. There's a man on second, nobody on first. If it's hit on the left side of the field, you know, you don't go unless you see it through, right? But if, if the third baseman's in shortstop territory and there's nobody on third, why not drop a slot bunt down third, yeah. down third base and then go? You can almost steal and go, you know? I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's, it's, and, but they took that away.
0: Yeah. And
2: so now it goes back to what you're saying. It's probably because they, they want to see more home runs and traditional. But I think that would have been more a more exciting game. Yeah. I think it, uh, it changes the way college baseball is as well. I think that
3: all the rules and uh, things that they're trying to change to make Major League Baseball more appealing. I think a lot of things are awesome, but it's, it's changing college baseball. And uh, you're seeing a bunch of guys in college baseball who are hitting – 400 every single year and they're all americans and they're not getting drafted and they're not playing professional baseball and it's because professional baseball scouts and the way that it's gone they, they don't care if you're hitting 400 unless you have 20 home runs with it or 15 home runs with it they right. want to see they want to see you hit the long ball and they're not so so much on hitting for average uh they definitely professional scouts like you know the tools, the athletes. So if you got a great arm or if you got a great speed, but you really see it with hitters is, is home runs.
2: Does that mean that they don't really care about the on-base percentage either? The OPS? OBPS?
3: Yeah, I, probably not. I've just, from like personal, what I've seen is I've seen a ton of great hitters and they'll probably the best hitters that I've seen aren't playing professional baseball right now or just done with their careers. And a couple of them are all Americans that hit over 400 every year. And they're best hitters that I have seen. And the hitters that I know that are in professional baseball or newly into professional baseball may not have been as good of hitters, but had 12 more home runs than
1: those other guys.
2: Oh, that's sad. That just
1: sounds like, Deep, like, they're not playing to win, not drafting to win games. They're drafting to develop. If
3: they can get those guys to hit that many home runs at the big league level, then it's a great success, and they're superstars, you know? But if you mm-hmm. you got a guy that only hit the, hit 400 through 40 or 50, 55 games of college baseball, and they only had three home runs, sure, they can get on base, but they can't hit the home runs. I agree with it to a point, but sometimes you see guys that are just on base all the time, and Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's part of the game. Is getting on base for those guys that are hitting home runs, Uh, exactly. And I I feel like both. I feel like they're scared to get let guys like that get into pro ball just because they're not hitting the long ball. I think that they're so
2: wrapped up into that, and I think that average goes a long way as well. Sure, I I think that like. As far as that's concerned, I mean, what you're saying is the fans, it's really more of like a fan issue. The fans want to see the home runs. They go to the games to see the home runs. The owners are drafting these players to hit home runs, not so much to win the series because the best team in baseball doesn't always win. I mean, let's just be honest. The Dodgers have had some great seasons, and they just can't get through the postseason, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... When you say, when you talk about it like that, like it's more about drawing the fans in, making the money. And if we have a chance to win, then great. But I, I have to go back to the trajectory of of the swing. I, I don't know. I, I struggle with the backspin uh, hit and the level hit because you can only hit that ball at one point in time on the trajectory of the ball. I do like the consistency of a, you know, drop 30, drop 20 degree barrel because it's on this path that the opposing path of the trajectory of the ball. And you're more likely in my opinion, to be consistently hitting the ball that way. Right. And then it does increase your likelihood for a line drive or a home run, but you drop that barrel a little too much. Guess what? It's a pop, it's a pop out
0: mm-hmm.
2: or a rollover, yeah. you know? So, I mean, it is like pick your poison, but I just feel like it's easier and it makes the, the, the hitter that much more consistent. Um, I don't know, but that's just me. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, I do – do you watch pro ball a lot? Yeah. Did you – which one do you like better, the college ball or the pro ball?
3: Uh, college baseball. I don't oh. know if that's just because I'm in it, but, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think college baseball is just – there's a lot more passion in it. Uh, there's a lot more excitement going on, especially so, yeah. at a time like this when the guys are, like, game – 75 or 80 in the MLB and they're just in the dog days of the summer for them and it's not like they're they're praying for a one zero baseball game. Win or lose doesn't really matter to them, but those college guys that worked, you know, their asses off to be in that position in game forty and they're they're ready to go, they they all bring it
2: and I think that's exciting to watch. I think that you see more pure baseball. And college ball, too. You know, I really wanted my son to meet you. My, He's doing All-Stars right now. And I don't know if your mom told you that he was in the World Series last year for the Cal Ripken World mm-hmm. Series. And um, I just wanted to meet you, you know, and talk to you a little bit. Uh, and so his homework, you know, was to watch the College World Series. And you definitely see, like, you know, pure traditional baseball and strategy and the approach. Where in college ball, the team that the team that won Ole Miss, it wasn't because they were hitting one, two, three, four home runs a game. It's because they were consistently getting on base. Mm-hmm. They were good base runners, and but their their hitters were just hitting singles. You know they weren't. They, they they were just disciplined. You know, and they had a couple of calls that went their way, but the pitching did. The pitching was. You know, you could argue pitching was oh, okay. Pitching was all right, but they got the job done, and their hitters got the job done. And guess who won the series? You know, yeah. and they beat a, a really tough Oklahoma team. OU looked great. Mm-hmm. They beat a really. T- I, th- I thought I thought Arkansas was going to go all the way. I'll be completely honest. And Texas A and I thought Texas A and M also had a chance, but
4: yeah,
2: they didn't. You know, so I I, I feel like pure baseball is more on the college level, um, but. You know, I'm really into this now because my kid's into it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm learning a lot, and we talk about a lot of things. And uh, one of the things uh, I wanted to ask you what your perspective was, I know you used to be a switch hitter. What happened? I did. I used to hit right-handed. Oh, I thought you were a switch hitter at one point. Mm -mm. Okay. You always hit right-handed. Yeah. Okay. I I thought you were a switch hitter and that they – said, hey, no, you're going to hit right-handed now. Here goes Ray, making shit up again. (laughs) Well, my kid hits a switch hitter. And last year, one of the coaches was like, nah, stick with the right. And it's probably because for my my son, my son wasn't the most confident. Um, And and his power side is the right side. Uh, But then he's, you know, after that, he's like, that's it. I'm switch hitting all the time, every time. No one's telling me any different. And his... OPS and, you know, batting average all went up and, uh, you know, he's a consistent leadoff hitter. That's just what he, you know, and he can hit the ball to the fence. And, um, what does he do? Does
1: he decide when he's walking to the plate based on the right hand, left hand pitcher, which side he's going to hit? He makes, does
2: he, they let him make that decision? Yes. He makes that decision. Okay. And he had a coach recently, He switched up. So his right side is his power side. You know, it's not that much more powerful than the left hand side because he's hit so much from the left. Um, But he got to see a lefty. He got so excited because now he can hit right. You know, Mm -hmm. but you know he's got very fast hands. I'll tell him what what I. I'll tell you what I do with that. uh, How he's developed, I think. Um, It kind of goes back. It'll probably bring us full circle. Um, And so he had a very. uh, He grounded out. And the coach goes, "You know what? I want you to hit lefty all the time." And he's like, "What? Said, no, I'm like, are you kidding me?" Now, it just so happened he went uh, two for three that day, you know, at the bat. Um, and and he comes and he tells me, and I said, "Listen, you do what you're comfortable with." Now, this is a a, a coach, an assistant coach, and um, if he hears this, he'll probably get pissed. I don't know how many people listen to this anyway. So, um, anyway. So he goes to do it again and the coach says something to him and he goes, no, no, no. I'm going to hit the way I want to hit. And then the head coach, the, the manager comes over and he's like, what's going on? And he's like, I'm I'm going to switch it. And he goes, you do what is comfortable for you. If you want to switch it, switch it. And of course, you know, he he goes righty at that point in the lefty pitcher and he hits a double. And I'm like, why are you trying to change his kids? Let him, you know, let him. How old is your son? He's, he's Well, he was a 10, a ten at the time, okay. but he's 10 years old. And then on top of that, he writes and eats with his right hand. If he serves a tennis ball, it's with his right hand. He has a right-handed forehand, a left-handed forehand. For whatever reason, and I'll tell you the whole story real quick. I really like to see what you think. For whatever reason, he prefers to throw a football and a baseball with his left hand. Just But if he golfs, it's, it's right. He, he's a righty. So a couple of years ago, 2020, we're playing ball and he overhears a coach say, so-and-so is a better, the best player in the team. And he goes, dad, we need to be objective. This is, we're walking back to the car. (laughs) He's like eight years old. We need to be objective. This kid, he can throw very hard, but he's inconsistent. Okay. He can, he can never fully strike somebody out because he's so inconsistent and he can't hit first base because he's too inconsistent. He doesn't catch pop flies all the time. He doesn't get always get the grounders. Um, he's a good hitter, but he never he hardly ever hits. You know, he he's a power hitter, but he strikes out a lot. He goes that I hit, I get on base almost all the time. I never strike out. I hit the target every time. I throw more strikes all the time. I can catch pop flies and ground balls all the time. How is it that he's the best player? This is just his competitive streak, right? I had to say, listen. That's because he can play every position. And he goes, so can I. And I said, no, you're playing as a lefty. You are only going to be a pitcher, a first baseman, or an outfielder. And he goes, oh, teach me how to be a righty. (laughs) (laughs) And and inside, I'm like, yeah, yeah, right? So, you know, we, we play around with that for a little bit. And uh, the following year, we'd gone to a new park uh, uh, closer to our house. It's supposed to be a better park anyway. And um, I told the coach, uh, I said, you know, he, he's been playing with his right hand, too. You know, he's been doing both. And like, what? And, and it just so happened, he just, they never worked with him on his right hand. So when the World Series came, they're like, hmm, Brandon throws righty. We just threw him. We need, the, we need another pitcher can we throw him again? So he thought he could throw Brennan again. And so he's looking at him in the bullpen. And he goes, ah, oh, he's just inconsistent. And he's like, ah, oh. I'm like, well, you should have maybe worked with him a little bit, you know? Um, and you had him. So fall comes this one team, you know what I'm talking about. There's a travel light team and they were begging, Brand, they were begging, begging for him to like play. And uh, I didn't want him to play. Cause I wanted him to shut down for that, you know, play something else like soccer or something. And he, he said, no, Dad, I would I would like to play. So he played, and I told them, you know, um, he, he plays with both hands. Well, they relegated him to the outfield because he's very good. They put him in center field. He's very good at outfield, and at this age, I guess, not a lot of kids are. And so he went to the coach, and he said, and we had problems at third base and shortstop. And he said, you know, can I play third base? And they said, no, you're a lefty. You're only going to play those positions. And then uh, he was very mad, and I said, well, go. Well, go talk to the manager, you know, the head manager. And he did. And, uh, the manager told him the same thing and he was really upset. And so I, I, I said, I said, you know, remember I told you he, he can play as a righty too. And they go, what he can, does he have a glove? I'm like, Oh yeah. Cause he, you know, he's been practicing. Like, well, Brandon play with your right hand. So he grabs the glove, he starts to, you know, cover first base. Cause that's what he was doing at the time as a righty. And they're like, go to third base. <laughs> But that was, like, the last game, so I didn't really do much. And then he said to me, he goes, that's it. From now on out, I am going to, you're going to work with me to, to play righty and lefty. I'm going to play infield as a right-hander. I'm going to play outfield as a left-hander. And I'm going to switch pitching when I pitch. He was, like, like all of a sudden. I've always talked to him before, that I was like, do you, are you sure you want to do this? Do you really want to do this? Why don't you just stick with the left, be fine, you know, just just deal with it. No, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And so now he's throwing with his right and his left. And I want you to, I kind of want you to see it. Tell me what you think. But he's like, and now he's like, dad, we're playing fall ball. And I'm like, "Ah, no, I don't want to do baseball here. (laughs) He's like, no, we're playing fall ball. Cause nobody knows that I can really play with my right. And I'm going to show them that I can play with my right. And I'm going to switch pitch next spring. And I'm like, uh, so I'm at the point now where I'm like, what do I do? So I'm gonna I'm gonna let him do it because that's what he wants to do and he's having fun. Um, and I I'm just telling him you know if you're gonna do it you better tear it up because mm-hmm. anything less it just is not gonna do it. It's gonna make you look bad.
0: You have to tear it up. Thoughts? Yeah,
3: that's something I'm not familiar with at all. Like I don't know what kind of benefits or harm it could do to do both. You know, uh, I. Hitting wise, I think that it's whatever it is that you're comfortable with, do it. You know, if that's going in there, lefty against righties and righty against lefties, and that's what you're comfortable with, go in there, trust it, have the plan, be comfortable. Uh, but throwing wise, that's that's actually awesome. Uh, I don't really know too much about it,
0: so
2: you don't think he should probably just stick with one hand and. I
3: don't know because like you're seeing new things come out with baseball and uh there's a new guy in the draft prospect list now who's in high school and he's throwing 93 from the right side and 89 from the left side and honestly I look at that and I don't think it makes much of a difference you know it's they're gonna use him as a lefty because he throws harder as a lefty and whatever but it's never bad to have options. I know that. Uh, and be able to do more things and be more
2: versatile can never hurt you. Yeah, it's certain, but it certainly takes away the platoon effect too. Sure, but oh. when you're younger, you're just, you're just playing. You yeah. know, you're
3: you're yeah. just gaining that experience, gaining that competitiveness, uh, learning to work as a team, figuring out baseball, who you are as a baseball player, and
2: how do you really figure that out if you don't try all options, I guess. You're not helping me at all. Uh-huh. You don't understand. The practices are like twice as long. <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah, twice as long, and it's a lot. And and you go you go to the practice
1: mm-hmm. with the team, and then he demands that you now go do
2: solo training with yeah, him afterwards do- for a whole other practice, right? That's right. He wants to do another conditioning on another day, and and so he'll say, yeah, let's, let's condition this day or or before or after practice. And I'm like, okay. And then I'll say, let's go. And he's like, oh, uh, I'm like, oh, do you don't want to go? No, let's go. And I'm like, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a lot more work. Yeah. And, um, so this is going to sound kind of crazy. So what I've done with him, just to kind of, kind of like your mama, you, know, you really love your kid and you want to protect your kid. And so, of course, she's going to give you the tools for shoulder mobility and it really, it wasn't just mobility, right? Because you're also developing your arm right. with those bands. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I do with my kid. And so from a young age, it's always been like a very thin, heavy, barrel-heavy bat. Um, so when we condition, and again, he likes to condition, it's let's swing a heavy bat and we're going to hit heavy balls. Um, and then we'll go to a lighter bat, but still somewhat heavy, hit heavy balls. And we're working on really the contact point and the follow through. And a lot of that is like hockey players make great baseball players. Lacrosse players make great baseball players. And I don't know if you know, but hockey players at a young, uh, when they're really young, like I think 15 or, or you know, younger, they're not allowed to, to pick this tick up for a backswing. They have to go, they can only pull it back just a little bit and they got to slap it. So they learn how not to, they don't, they don't really have a backswing. So they, but they have to learn in order to get the puck to go. They learn naturally how to get that contact and they develop their exit velocity that way. Um, so with him, I, you know, I'm like, okay, same concept. We're going to use a heavy bat, heavy balls, heavy, heavy bat, heavy balls. Now we're going to use a lighter bat regular baseballs and I'm going to throw them as hard as I can to you. And you're going to have to time it because if you can time at this age, I can't throw that fast, but if you can time a pitch that I'm throwing. Okay. And then, and then I'll do like slow, slow pitches to him because now he's got to develop his power. Can't just use my power. Now Now you got to use your power and let's see, and we'll do it on the field. So we're going to look at the outcome. This is called knowledge of performance and knowledge of results okay where are you hitting the ball are you hitting the ball to the left center or left field the right field you know we're trying to even it out actually and how many of those were grounders how many of them were bloopers and line drives and whatnot um but because of this his hands have become very fast and his timing has become it's really helped so much so that uh, when he sees slower pitches um sometimes it throws him off because now he's you know, he's off on the time, but he's learning now. I, I need the, the rubber band effect. I need the stride first and then pull my hands through inside out. So the barrel makes contact on a change up if I thought it was going to be a fastball originally, especially if I'm behind in the count. Um, so that's helped him with fast hands. And I've also done heavy ball training with him as a kid. And something simple as like lay flat on your back. Here's as a, you know, five ounce ball, six ounce ball. And just throw it up to me, but it's my my thought, and and you know he does pull ups and push ups and stuff like that. So we do only calisthetic based stuff. But it's my thought, and we do do long toss. It, it seems like everybody who knows anything about pitching loves long toss. Is that true?
0: I don't long toss, but
2: you don't like long toss? I'm not not really. Why is that? uh you're the only person i know who said that
3: (laughs) yeah i i just in the off season longer than what i would normally do i'll longer toss i guess not necessarily long toss but i like being i gotta throw 60 feet six inches i like being being able to throw be efficient through 60 feet six inches and i feel like when i'm throwing that long i'm like uh, throwing it up in the air and it's elevating a lot i want to be like go out to 90 and i want to throw it through 60 feet six inches and get it to 90 and so like i'm always kind of throwing the
2: same distance even if i am pushing it back a little bit or not do you do any window training do you throw through any windows or tires or Um, any slots or anything like that
3: not really um not specifically that i think it's more of just my catcher sits there and shows me the glove and you know if i hit the glove it, i won't hear anything from him if i have to make a move he'll probably throw it at my feet or <laughs> tell me you know so <laughs> yeah. i've had i have some catchers like that that are really good and you'll learn quick if you don't hit their
2: glove okay and what do you think about the new catching techniques that they're are using now I like it. You like it. Yeah. As a pitcher. Mm-hmm. I've heard, uh, and you know, I'm around like a lot of traditional guys, you know, nobody seems to like it. I've only met one other person. like I like it. To me, it makes sense mechanically. Do you Have you seen the changes in catching? No, I, I'm not. I'm not in it. So like catchers traditionally would stay in their squat mm-hmm. and they would show the glove and they'd have to stick the catch. And then they would argue, you got to frame it. So if it's out here, you're trying to pull it back into the zone. Now, they, the framing and framing is kind of like framing, right? They're, they call it receiving now, though. Yeah. So what they're doing is instead of staying in the squat, they may start, start in a squat, but then they'll go into like a secondary and sometimes even a tertiary position. So then they'll kick the leg out. And so they're in a squat. It's like a hockey. It's like a hockey goalie. They'll kick the leg out to the side. Or they'll kneel down on one knee with the other knee up. And they take their gloves, they'll flash the glove to the pitcher, they'll drop the glove with it still open, okay, to the ground between their legs where the space is. And then they're receiving the ball in a clockwise or up and down fashion, okay, so if the pitcher throws it inside, they're receiving it inside and pulling it into the zone to present to the catch, to the to the ump. And what's really interesting is is that the argument is, by doing it that way, you block more balls. What everybody I know says no, you know, they, they hate that. They don't think it that they do. But do they do they look like they block more balls for you? It makes sense to me They're because lower to the ground, you're
3: just able to be there. You know, it's right. You think maybe it's harder to move left to right when you're down in one knee, but I don't really see catchers having to move left to right terribly that often. No. Uh, oh. It's more of worrying about up and down that's usually if you're pitching and you're pitching well your your misses should be up and down to right. to the spot uh and so really the, the catcher being on one knee, I see that like it gets him in a better position to work that ball up the low ball that's up, right. you know into the zone or take the high ball and stick it down into the zone right stealing more strikes
2: see that really. makes i see that too, and it makes sense so I don't understand why people don't like it. But basically, instead of starting in the middle, if you think of like mm-hmm. the zone, like a box, instead of start, starting with the glove in the middle, and you as a catcher, you have to be able to read the ball and figure out whether it's going low or going high. Right. So you've got two ways to go. These guys are starting low, and they're working their way up. Mm-hmm. So it's one direction. So they're not having to guess so much. So
1: is there a thought about when you talk about framing it, you catch it and pull it back to the middle? Is that because you want the umpire to get to think that this is where the pitch was, hoping to gleam a strike? Yeah, you're trying to steal a strike. You would think uh, it seems like it would also help that as well because now the umpire isn't seeing your glove move from here out and back. He's just seeing your glove catch the ball or not seeing you catch the ball because
2: it's too so fast. So that's the you're down out of there and then just catch. That's the two things that the umpires that they've said, this is why it's better. Mm-hmm. So one, you're starting low. So if it's in the dirt, you're already there anyway. So yeah. you can just scoop and drop. One of the things that catchers, you know, catchers, you know, tend to have short, they beat up their bodies. So the last thing you want to do is be in a squat. come up into your secondary, just to drop down onto both knees. Mm. That, that pays, plays a toll eventually. Right. These guys don't have to do that anymore. They can just drop one knee or because their glove is covering the space between their legs and the leg is spread out, it's a small space. So if the ball is coming low, it's just going to hit off the pad and it's going to stay in front of them. Or they can scoop with the glove and drop over it to like to like to keep it from passing them. That's one thing. If they do got to go left and right, they, they you're right. They're just as springy. They can go left and right. But here's the thing. If their leg is kicked out long ways to the uh, outside and the pitcher throws it outside and it's low in the dirt, some A lot of the times, it hits their leg. It hits the padding, and it's still in front of them. It's not past them. So that's another benefit. The other benefit for the umps is it takes away a point of reference for the strike zone. You've heard this. Mm-hmm. You go ahead and explain it. You can probably do a better job. Basically, like if you're kind of sitting in the same position
3: as a catcher the entire game where you're you're getting to that squatting position, you're staying there umpire is not necessarily looking to see where the ball is crossing it's kind of seeing like where on you know my catcher's body is it entering the zone like so if he sees it shoulder to shoulder on the catcher he's going to be able to say okay this ball that's crossing right here that's a strike uh if he's like down on one knee and getting to the outside it's going to force the ump- umpire to kind of move to keep up with him but also the catchers are able to kind of like sit up pretty tall while they're like down in a kneeling position and so for those lower pitches it's the ones that are really low the umpire can't really tell on his body where it's at because the umpire will kind of be offset on it and the catcher's view will kind of be like blocking it a little bit and he's able to just a good catcher will be able to work the ball up umpire's kind of just seeing okay where is his hand sticking at right calling it off that
2: yeah the ball's coming in so fast they can't see where the ball's sweeping they just see where the ball's being caught and what right. is the what is the catcher how much movement is the catcher having to go through i mean if the catcher's falling out if they're starting off in the center and they're falling outside low and outside looks like a ball even if it's a, 50-50 a 60-40, mm-hmm. 50 50 or 60 40 50 50 ball 50 percent strike 60 percent. yeah so you can steal strikes the catcher this is where i think that now the catcher becomes the most important player on the field which I think the catcher has always been the most important player in the field because they're the quarterback. They're the ones that see everything. They're calling the plays. They're calling the directions. They, they're, they're handling the pitcher, but they don't get a lot of like love. You know, the pitcher gets a lot of the love. They really yeah. don't. But a pitcher that has a relationship with a catcher, that's like unbreakable. Like a lot of times the pitchers are gonna say, I'm not going to pitch unless so-and-so is catching for me. Right. Because they know that they can trust that catcher. That catcher's going to make him look good, and it's gonna, he's going to steal strikes for him. But yeah, so the, from what I was heard, Max, was that the knees and the shoulders are like, the, lo- like the, the box, the outside lines of the box. The head, and then again, the knees, is the bottom of the box. So based on where the catcher's catching that ball, that's a strike. But if the catcher's knee is down, the, now that line's gone. There's no reference. If he's taller, now you're right. It's obscured. Okay, And if he's lower, now the strike zone's lower for the ump. So if they're catching it lower and they're receiving, they're doing doing it clockwise, they're they're catching low coming here. They're not coming all the way up here. Like framing's like in the middle, in the middle, stick, middle, stick, middle. They're catching it and they're pulling it. They're trying to pull a 60-40 or even like a 70-30 into more of the 50-50. And what's the, you know, the ump might still call it a ball, but you have a higher risk that the ump also calls it a strike. So, you turn a 70 30 and the pitcher's like, shit, shouldn't have threw that to a 50 50 and he goes, strike. That's less pitches for the pitcher. So, you're saving his arm and you're making him look good. So, it's like probably one of the most valuable things, in my opinion. And I don't know why so many people hate it, but I think it's, I think that's the future. And that's going to, again, it's when I look at it from a naturalistic perspective, you're thinking hockey, you know? I'd probably have to think about a couple of other things, but that's like—I just think there's so much carryover there, and I, I think it's awesome for the for the pitcher and the catcher,
3: you know. Yeah. So I think it'll hurt the future if uh, they go to robo umpires. I think that's that takes away everything that a catcher's supposed to be, you know. And they'll just eventually just stick whoever back there if you can catch a ball and have a strong arm. And go back there and catch I think there's a lot more to catching and it's it's really an art with the guys that I know they they take a lot of pride in catching and uh are really good at it and you really see a difference between a guy who can really
2: catch it or can kind of catch it I mean the catcher is a superb athlete they've got to be able to receive that ball try to pull strikes try to you know they've got to be able to they're also like dictating the plays trying to read the, the hitter talking to the coach, talking to their pitcher. They've got to have one of the strongest arms, if not the strongest arm on the team, because they're going to have to throw throw downs. And it's, they've got to be pinpoint accurate mm-hmm. on those throwdowns, Right. And back in the day when you could tackle the catcher, you had to be like the toughest <laughs> damn guy on the field. So like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, but I think that's where the future is going and I'm not liking it. I don't like the fact that pitchers are now specialists. They're not hitting Hate that. Now you have more DHs. I think that's great because now you have more people that can play.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I like seeing my well-rounded players, yeah. My, yeah. my athletes. I hate the idea of – I don't mind using a robo-ump for the strike zone so much, but I still like the ump there just from a traditional perspective. And I do like the idea with the advent of this new catching technique that maybe the robo-ump isn't that great. Maybe it's, it's cooler to see the strategy and the tactics of the catcher and the pitcher working together to fool the batter who is a, a, you know, a a 300, 400 BA, you know what I mean? It it, it gives it so much more variety and spice, but that's, that's the few as a pitcher. What do you think about being a specialist? You know, like, like the MLB is looking at you guys as,
3: I, I, I don't really like it. um, Just because I think it, takes away a little bit of the need that a pitcher would have to have some athleticism. Uh, I, know, I know a lot of pitchers and a lot of very good pitchers that all they could do is throw a ball from pitcher's mound to home. And they can do that really well, but if you tell them to go out to shortstop and field a ground ball and throw it to first base, they could not do 10 right. out of 10, they're messing up uh and so they they get really good at doing one thing and doing one thing and so that's what I kind of tried not to do is like I sometimes go out there before practice with our infielders and go just field some ground balls or if I can't field some ground balls they always look for guys at first base to so they could throw it across and just like work some athleticism like do stuff that like I haven't done when I when I play catch I'll do my whole catch routine and at the end of it I'm throwing from sidearm slot or pretending I'm the shortstop and throwing it from here and there and however I can uh, just trying to keep athleticism and I think that like doing that kind of is pushing it away they're kind of just trying to make sure that pitchers are just doing one thing and it's taking the ball throwing it for the pitchers mount and throwing it home right uh also I jump into the cages too I'll hit with our hitters every once in a while and I I really enjoy it and (laughs) it obviously like I can hit I can hit I still can hit. Uh, so like, that's why I kind of like it, but also at the same time, like it's, it shows that I'm a little bit more athletic in what I'm doing than other people. Sure. It, it sets me apart where if I didn't have that, then it'd be harder for people to t- set apart in that way.
2: And that's the sad thing. And, and, you know, it's college ball. You're just pitching and you're not even get a chance to hit, but hopefully if the league could see you hit and you could pitch and, and they say, well, we could use him as a pitcher, but Oh man, he could hit. Maybe he could be a DH for us too. Gives you a little bit more variety, you know, and more development and mold. Makes you more uh, malleable. But we have to get out there. We're going to have to watch you play, man. We're going to have to come to a couple of your games. And I'll certainly, you know, shave my chest so I look like I have a bikini on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I can't do that, actually. I'm hairless. uh, I'll just, I'll figure something out that looks really weird. Why don't you just
1: wear the bikini?
2: I'll wear the bikini. I'll grow out like a Fu Manchu. And i'll just show up at the game and i'll you know ask for your autograph in front of all your teammates i'll do it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right i think we're good um do you have anything else that you want to say or end with or talk about i'm all right you're all right yeah all right I,
1: I have a few questions that we could probably run through right, well, it doesn't really good. take a lot of uh we're done explanation but favorite baseball team tampa bay rays tampa oh, bay yeah. rays good good that's why i wore my rays hat. My favorite team. Favorite. Do you have a favorite pitcher or player that's not a pitcher? And you know, so favorite player. Favorite player is Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera. Yeah. Mm. Not a pitcher.
3: Not a pitcher. Mm. Okay. Why? I grew up loving him. I We went to a lot of Marlins games growing up, me and my family. And uh, he was obviously the the guy. And so... I really like him. Also, Jock Peterson. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Jock Peterson as well. Okay. Yeah. I'm not familiar with him. Uh, he's the greatest baseball player of all time. Okay.
1: where, who, uh, What position? Who did he
3: play for? He's left field with the Giants. Currently? Currently. Okay. He was with the Braves last year and then the Dodgers the year before. So okay. Everywhere he goes, he wins a championship. He's a World Series champion, yeah. I think okay. this year he's going to win another one. Okay. With the Giants whoever he goes yeah, to he we'll could see. go somewhere else we'll see but well,
2: i mean you're right though the dodgers the, the braves for goodness sakes you yeah. know mm-hmm. i mean and you're right yeah
3: and he was the difference maker mm-hmm. you're so right it's kind of been the the joke but not so much a joke because with <laughs> me and my buddies that i tell them jock peterson's the greatest player right now and possibly of all time because everywhere he goes he wins a championship and that's the definition
1: of great
2: you know yeah. lamar Odom too Robert Ori went to, a, won a bunch of championships with different teams. Yeah. Is he the greatest basketball player of all time? Well, I'm uh-huh. just giving you a hard time.
1: I mean, Ori, I I don't know either. I was going to say, he was pretty good. Probably, I would think. He's well, well, I'm thinking Odom. You're talking Ori. Yeah, that yeah, that's what I was right. thinking. I said Odom, I but Ori. He did, yeah. He, he did, like, like eight or nine. Or something like that, right? okay. Somewhere in that. Somewhere in that. But every team he'd go
2: to, he, he'd always come off the bench. Yeah. This is before your time. He would come off the bench and play, and he wouldn't play a full game. But wherever he went, they just won championships.
1: Yeah, we we'll say the Lakers, mm-hmm. the the San Antonio Spurs, Spurs right?
2: Mm-hmm. A bunch of places. Whoever
1: else you play for. Okay, so favorite pitcher. Favorite
3: pitcher. Uh, I like I like watching Bruce Dargraderall. Okay, um, he's with the Dodgers. He's he's their closer this year. I think he's out of the bullpen, but I think he's more their closer. He's electric. Uh, he's fun to watch because he's he's just a big dude, and everything people say about you know getting a long stride and uh, you know staying mobile, he's the complete opposite. He's just a big dude. He strides about that far when he pitches, and just gets his arm up and whips
2: out a hundred and two. So the ball moves a whole foot. Mm-hmm. He's electric to watch. See, that's something we didn't talk about. I wanted to talk about how pitching is similar to sprinting.
1: Yeah. We need get into that. Oh, we
2: don't need to get into that. Cause I, cause I, I, think about the power when it comes to sprinting. And so like you're talking about the stride that just reminded me of that. Yeah. All right. What's another, uh, I had, I did have more, um, I had some obscure questions too. I can't remember what those were though. Who has the best mullet in baseball? There you go. Mullet and mustache. I don't even know. Oh, <laughs> are you growing one out? Are you going to do that? No, it's I a need style. A, I need a haircut. This is the as longest as my hair's been a while. You should at least grow out like the Tom Selleck mustache.
3: Sometimes I do the mustache. Yeah, but I don't let it get too long. More of like the the peach fuzz mustache.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, now that the peach fuzz mustache, <laughs> uh, <laughs> when you grow up, you know, and you're going from like you know the the ladies to the women, mm. it's gonna be the Tom Selleck mustache. All right. Bush it out, you know. Yeah. Um. Okay. Who is the best? Which team is the best team in uh, baseball right now? Um, Because I know you want to say Rays, yeah, but they're they're. uh, We'll see what they look like after the All Star break.
3: Yeah, they're struggling right now. Rays are banged up too; got a lot of injuries. Uh, I think that, like overall, just best team with the most talented players is the Dodgers. And again, it's not. By chance, they bought their team. You know, they do what they were looking for, and they assembled that super team. Uh, I think the Yankees are a close second, but I don't think they're the best team because they still lose and to the Rays and everybody else.
1: Toronto, oh yeah, Toronto, and they don't have your boy. Yeah.
2: Well, I I thought you were going to say maybe the Phillies too because the Phillies on paper look strong as well. Yeah, I'm just. I think that I'm a big believer in the AL. Mm -hmm. I think
3: the AL's got strong competition,
2: uh even though the Dodgers but the Dodgers have been a good team for a long time. Mm-hmm. And oh uh, what do you what about Astros? What about Houston?
3: Yeah. I they've, mean they've lost a little bit, but like they're they they're playing well. They're I think playing that like well. Like on paper, like you look at the players that they got, I think that like Dodgers and Yankees, like you look at those two teams and that should be that should be your World Series every year.
2: I don't Oof, know man. but it's Houston not. no but Houston Houston's been in it for mm-hmm. like what the last ten years? Yeah. So I mean, they're doing something right down there, for sure. Yeah. Cheating and cheating, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, I've got a trivia question for you. This is the last one I've got. Okay. Who are the only two player, two people in the Baseball Hall of Fame who are not baseball
0: players? Well, oh, they'd have to be coaches or something, wouldn't they? Is that a thing? You, you know, right? They could also be journalists.
1: I don't even know. You know the answer, right? No. Okay. I feel like I'm... You will. I feel
2: like you'll remind me. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, Abbott and Costello.
2: Of course. Comedians.
1: Who's Ab- on first? You've seen uh, that before, really? right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: You better. I yeah. would get very mad at you if you didn't. The <laughs> They're in the Hall of Fame? They are in the Baseball really? Hall of Fame. I didn't know that. They should be. They should be. They were definitely, you know... They that was a great helped. bit. Yeah. Huh?
1: It was a great bit. Classic. Oh, yeah. Probably...
2: I mean, it brought a lot of popularity to baseball too,
1: you
2: know. Yeah, yeah, was, man, yeah. I love them. They were funny, hilarious. Your mom might get mad if I curse too much. <laughs> so, they were pretty funny. Um, all right, any other trivia?
1: Oh, I don't think so. No, that was that's the only thing I think it got. It was a little bit off.
2: All right. Well, good luck to you, man. We're gonna come and watch your game and dress up like cheerleaders for you. Thank you. He, he will. You'll wear a skirt. I'll. I'll. I'll no. no are you gonna grow out the mullet
1: um probably not no i do i've got my tartan right up here my uh my braveheart tartan i probably won't wear that either even (laughs) though it is almost almost the
2: school colors yeah Mm -hmm. but well i i just don't understand why people are doing the mullet i really don't i don't either and i think maybe we're just too old i I don't know i mean i do i do kind of have you know, the, the, no, you don't have the mullet. It's not the mullet, but it's
1: yeah. it's. Oh, I would I would argue it's almost a version of mullet. You know, it's business it in the call front, the molar? and I'll party in the back. <laughs> you know, it's that it's that back mohawk almost. It doesn't. Uh, I don't. Yeah, sometimes okay. I'll, I'll got to really spike it out or really glue it out there to get it to actually stand up off the back of my head. But
2: anyway, we'll come to the game, check you out, awesome. and you know, talk baseball some more. I would love to hear uh now that you're down here i would love to hear if you've changed anything like how it's gone and how you felt and what it's done with you
0: so. for sure all right man and um that's it Okay. thank you for thank coming thank you